0: Hello, welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl, And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, we took a week off. We are back, and we've got a lot going on. I mean, we have a Supreme Court nomination. We do indeed. I think when we last left off, we had just heard about Kennedy uh, stepping down. Now we have the nomination, Brett Kavanaugh, and we have the president. He is off on a very significant trip uh, to Europe, NATO, the United Kingdom, his summit with Vladimir Putin.
1: A lot going on. He's uh, breaking a bunch of norms, uh, both at home and abroad, and uh, and watching the consequences in his uh, considerable wake. You know, starting with the court, John. Uh, I think uh, this he went more conventional than a lot of people thought he would.
0: He went with uh, a bushy. You've seen the picture <laughs> of the guy uh, with Carl, with his arm around Carl Rove. Rove. I mean, amazing.
1: amazing, my amazing. lord. It, and, and, it, it is striking that this president, who doesn't worry about uh, about convention in almost any respect, has decided that the one kind of practice that he would keep from previous Republican presidents was to go with the Federalist Society, bring them in-house, and name someone who's on the list that would be on the list that Jeb Bush or Marco Rubio or any Republican president would have right now, and decide not to pick that fight. We're going to get to that, and I'm going to
0: tell you about my sadness, and we're going to talk about this, but I I still believe in a place called (laughs) America—
1: I'm <laughs> um, oh, sorry. The, I, I wasn't you
0: know, laugh. <laughs> a place yeah. where both Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Anthony Scalia got confirmed with 90 plus votes. Yeah. I mean, Scalia was 98 to nothing. I'm going with um, the under
1: on. Capitol yeah, uh,
0: exactly. I and and I was in the East Room for the announcement and I looked out on that crowd and I saw people like Eddie Gillespie, somebody else. The <laughs> president had had attacked in the past, but uh, a former chief of staff for McConnell, the entire Republican Senate, except for a couple named Murkowski and Collins anyway it's like this there wasn't a single democrat in sight entirely partisan and then the next day the entire you know democratic world yeah lining up against, except for a couple of potential senators that might be for... I mean, this is... Anyway, I, it's, I, 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 it's, it's a sadness and, to me, and, I, and I'm
1: totally it, serious and about one it. One thing I'd add to that, and we're going to talk to, to Brian We Fallen, haven't even had... We haven't answered episode.
0: a single question yet, and everybody has already come out. I
1: mean... A great what? example of that, John. I was on the steps of the Supreme Court as um, uh, in in the hour or so before and a couple hours afterward, and the chance of uh, both for and against abortion rights and gay rights and all the predictable things yeah. uh, began about an hour before, or uh, 45 minutes before the naming, and and they did not pause to even listen to the announcement. The folks that were chanting on both sides had the chance ready to go, and they did not. They didn't break stride. Someone said, yeah. "I should." Someone should shout out, "Hey, it's Merrick Garland." <laughs> <laughs> <Let's> see what <laughs> how it happens. Yeah. But it, they, they, so, it, you're right. It was the, the the cake. That cake was baked.
0: All right, so we're going to get into all that, and we're going to talk to Brian Fallon, who was, of course, Hillary Clinton's press secretary, but also is now leading the 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 effort from the left to defeat this nomination. Uh, we have some tough questions for him, and that'll be just shortly. But I, but first, the president is off. He's already uh, had his first round of meetings at NATO. He had breakfast uh, with with the other uh, NATO leaders, toast and oranges. Yeah, and it was a really nice breakfast. Uh, but. Can, can I, I think it's worth just going through some of what he said. First of all, as you might imagine, he raised the issue of NATO and who carries the financial burden for NATO's collective defense.
1: The United States is paying far too
0: much, and other countries are not paying enough, especially some. So we're going to have a meeting on that. This has been going on for decades, for decades. And it's disproportionate and not fair to the taxpayers of the United States. And we're going to make it fair. Okay, so I have to say, Rick, that's pretty direct. It's pretty blunt. Mm-hmm. He didn't wait until later on. You know, usually you start with some pleasantries. Uh, but it's also exactly the same message. It's very... Wait, say what I... happened there? I don't know. Were you like, trying to cut me off? That was me. Sorry, guys. Was Trevor. Um, that was Trevor <laughs> Hastings back in the control room. But it's also... Exactly the same message. Maybe the language is slightly different uh, that we heard from Barack Obama, and then we heard from George W. Bush. There's been a long-standing concern. I didn't cover uh, the, the Clinton Pentagon, so I can't tell you exactly what they had to say about it. But I can I can speak to both uh, what, what I saw under Obama and under Bush. This issue of NATO not pulling its weight is an old issue. It is one the United States has repeatedly raised. It's entirely legitimate. We cover the overwhelming burden of of collective self-defense. All that the other NATO countries are asked to do is to spend 2% of their GDP on defense. The majority of them don't come anywhere near that. Well, they claim they're getting there. Well, they are getting there. There has been some increase. It's increased. It started under Obama, all of that. But so it's not surprising that the president would raise this. It's not even necessarily a problem that the president would raise. Maybe it's a good thing that President Trump would raise this. But listen to where he went next. It's very sad when Germany makes a massive oil and gas deal with Russia where you're supposed to be guarding against Russia and Germany goes out and pays billions and billions of dollars a year to Russia. I mean, you know, and he's not done. Listen to this: Germany, as far as I'm concerned, is captive to Russia because it's getting so much of its energy from Russia. Mm. Germany is captive to Russia. I think Angela Merkel spent some time in East Germany, which actually <laughs> was captive to Russia. <laughs> New little, uh, little about being captive. These are, yeah. these are these are fighting words. I mean, he is. Uh, I mean wow this is this is over breakfast they haven't even had a chance to really I don't even know if the bread had been broken
1: yet and with our friends and and as we as we know from the president he thinks the easiest part of the meetings that he's going to have while abroad will be the meeting with Putin coming up uh, toward the end of his trip. Uh, these are absolute broadsides. And on one level, I, this is businessman Trump. I mean, this is this is about the American energy industry and about uh, very domestic concerns around that. On the other end, he knows that the that there are several European leaders right now in precarious leadership positions. So to go out there and take a shot at Merkel, to take the shot he did at Theresa May in, in talking about how he didn't want to opine about whether uh, whether she should stay at the head of the government and maybe he'd meet with Boris Johnson when he's in England Maybe Later he would meet with.
0: Can, can we pause for a yeah. second there? He said he might meet with Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson, who just quit her uh, cabinet. In just a quit.
1: blaze of fu- of fury, yes, yes.
0: So he raises the possibility he might meet with Boris Johnson. This would be like a foreign leader coming to the United States and saying, "Wait a minute, first I want to have a meeting with Rex Tillerson
1: <laughs> or Hillary <laughs> <laughs> or maybe Scott Pruitt. but whatever." <laughs> right, I mean, right. no, it's it, it, it. He he's blowing it all up. I and I wonder, John. You know, the, you, you get to the, the, the real consequences of a lot of these things. Is the rest of the world in a mood to take the lectures from President Trump and what does the blowback look like? Because I do think in the pregame of this, to have um, some European officials start to say, hey, look, guys. America doesn't have a lot of allies. I think that was a, a, pretty, a pretty strong statement. Uh, but they're prepared for this now. This isn't new. You were with the president when he was at NATO last, and he broke a lot of China that time as well. Whether the blowback starts to get more significant, we're already seeing trade wars. Um, there's been a, a, pretty, a pretty furious war of words with several European leaders. And does that matter? Is the president able to get away with this kind of, kind of behavior on the world stage? Does that prove his point that he was right? Well, I think what we can say
0: is that Vladimir Putin, if you were to put a list of his top uh, foreign policy goals, if you were, uh, that at the, maybe maybe the maybe the very top, but certainly top three would be dividing NATO,
1: blowing NATO up. Yeah, yes. And, and and we know the president has has talked a lot about whether we even need to be part of NATO, whether that's yeah. something that's yeah. even worthwhile. That's all music to Putin's ears. So uh, you know, I I
0: I think that uh, I think that this this makes. The stakes for the Putin summit, which we don't really know, we're, we're told. I mean, it's not clear to me exactly what the Putin summit is about. It was clear to me, obviously, right. what the Kim Jong Un summit was <laughs> about. Uh, but, 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 what the objective here is? But if we see another, you know, contrast of the president going hard, hard, hard at our allies, and you know, being all smiles with Vladimir Putin, I, you know. I don't know.
1: We've seen that. We have seen the movie
0: before, but it is a strange movie to play. It is a strange movie, and that it would be a Republican president who would be doing it, that it would be the heir to Ronald Reagan, that the Republicans, by and large, standing by as this happens. Although, I, I think this is one area where we have seen individual Republicans, particularly in the United States Senate, Come out and put some distance between themselves and uh, and Trump and Bob Corker, but of course he's leaving. Right. Uh, and criticism of Bob Corker is not exactly a new thing, but he is. I mean, the, the idea that you have a Republican president, you know, taking steps to divide NATO and being open arms with uh, with, with Russia is, is astounding. And and I know it's not a new thing, but I think it's worth worth pointing out again this is this is
1: this is astounding and it is and it is the full trump vision and this is what he said he'd do a lot of people thought he'd moderate these views or pull some punches once he got on the world stage i think that was the prevailing view of a lot of the outgoing obama folks was that he said whatever he needed to say once he gets in it's different it's not different this is what he's doing and he has not changed his behavior uh, and and the rest of the world is forced to adjust and catch up all right, so we have to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're
0: going to talk to Brian Fallon. We're going to go into, go into some detail on this Supreme Court pick. Brett Kavanaugh will be back in just a moment.
2: Brought to you by Indeed. Used by over 3 million businesses for hiring. Where business owners and HR professionals can post job openings with screener questions. Then sort, review, and communicate with candidates from an online dashboard. Learn more at Indeed.com hire.
1: There's a lot coming at you right now. Turmoil tweets an insane amount of chatter i'm brad milkey with abc news and i am here to throw you a lifeline it's a new podcast called start here where our experts give you on the ground access to the biggest stories of the day we're going to give you some context some clarity among the chaos 20 minutes every weekday subscribe now on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and start here
0: Joining us now is Brian Fallon, who is the leader of Demand Justice, also uh, somebody well known uh, to listeners of the podcast. As you know, uh, Rick, uh, you know, Brian was uh, press secretary for Hillary Clinton. Uh, He was a spokesperson for the Department of Justice. He worked for a senator from New York named Chuck Schumer back in the day. Uh, uh, This is uh, this is a guy very well known to our audience. Uh, Brian, thank you for joining us.
2: It's awesome to be back with you guys. So you are
0: already, I I, kind of thought that maybe there was a chance that uh, the president would pick his Supreme Court nominee. You would carefully go over uh, his opinions, listen to what he said in his confirmation hearing, and then decide whether or not you were in favor or against the nominee. But what I gather, you are doing everything in your power to defeat this nomination, and you are focusing on those potentially wavering Democrats. What's the plan?
2: Well, you know, we didn't have to reserve judgment, John, because the president did us the favor of telegraphing the people he'd be picking from uh, two years ago. Um, Now, Brett Kavanaugh himself actually wasn't part of the original list of 11 that Trump released during the campaign, but his name has been part of the list for a long time now, too. So our group at Demand Justice has been spending the last several months getting ready for just this scenario. We hoped it wouldn't come, but just in case it did, we've been researching all their past writings and rulings. So we're very familiar with all their records. And I have to say, I'm surprised the president picked Kavanaugh. I thought that he might listen to Mitch McConnell's advice that was reported over the weekend, because there were some other uh, people on the finalist list, like Thomas Hardiman of Pennsylvania, Raymond Kethledge of Michigan, that I'm sure have the same positions as Brett Kavanaugh on key issues like abortion and hostility to the Affordable Care Act. But they don't have as much of a paper trail in terms of having rules and cases on those two issues, whereas. With Brett Kavanaugh, this guy's an open book. I mean, he's pretty much had to rule or weigh in in speeches on pretty much every issue under the sun. And that paper trail is going to be, I think, uh, a big barrier for the Republicans to quickly speed through a confirmation process. That was the exact worry Mitch McConnell voiced to uh, Donald Trump in urging him not to pick Kavanaugh. And true enough, we learned yesterday that there's more than a million Pages of documents sitting at the Bush Library from Brett Kavanaugh's time as a political lawyer working for the Bush administration in the first term. The Senate's going to want to see all those documents. There should not be a hearing scheduled until all those documents are reviewed, and uh, so that the senators can ask informed questions at a hearing. And if the if the Senate you know follows its precedent and, and insists on seeing and reviewing all those documents uh, before they schedule a hearing, that means that there probably couldn't be a hearing until after Labor Day, which would throw their whole schedule off and move us even closer to the midterm. So, so I think that there's a potential here for things to really get snarled. So, so Brian,
0: a million pages or so, uh, but I, I, I would say that the 33 pages or so that have gathered the most attention so far have been this article on the separation of powers uh, that Kavanaugh wrote back in 2009 for the Minnesota Law Review, specifically what he said about uh, whether or not a president should be subject to criminal uh, investigations and civil lawsuits, and the sentence that you and others have zoomed in on um, looks uh, looks pretty potentially damning. Uh, he says the indictment and trial of a sitting president, moreover, would cripple the federal government, rendering it unable to function. Um, the suggestion being that if Kavanaugh were on the court and the court were to consider whether or not Robert Mueller could subpoena uh, a president that he might uh, that would suggest perhaps, um, you know, be be biased in favor of the, uh, of the White House position. But I have to say, Brian, I think that Democrats have entirely distorted what he wrote in this article. Um, he, in this section on whether or not a president should be subject to uh, criminal investigations, indictment, or civil lawsuits. He points out explicitly that um, in the uh, in, in the in the example of, of Bill Clinton, that that the Supreme Court ruled that the lawsuit could go forward, and he doesn't take issue with that decision. The paragraph where he said what I just the quote I just read begins: "Congress should consider." Goes on to say. Congress might consider exempting a president while in office from criminal prosecution and investigation. But the reason why he's saying that is precisely because there is no constitutional protection. He wants Congress to protect a president while in office from facing what Bill Clinton faced during the Ken Starr investigation. He's, so I, 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 aren't you guys entirely, entirely misstating his position on this?
2: No, we're not. Here's why. Uh, That article, while an important one, is not the only time that Brett Kavanaugh has weighed in on this subject. So I agree with your characterization of the University of Minnesota law article 100%. But he's weighed in on this in various settings and in various law review articles for the better part of 20 years. And in 1998, he appeared at a Georgetown Law Symposium, and there's videotape on the C-SPAN website, he was uh, one of about 12 or 15 lawyers sitting on a panel, and he was asked, the panel was asked point blank by the moderator, who here believes that under current law a sitting president cannot be indicted? Raise your hand. And Brett Kavanaugh raises his hand. He's also written articles about this in, uh, in the 1998 Georgetown Law Review article. His views on this are very well established. He wants Congress to take an added step of statutorily, uh enacting a provision to make it clear for all time that a president cannot be indicted but he believes that if even if congress doesn't take that step he believes that in the absence of a new law in his opinion a sitting president can't be indicted so he's already prejudged that question and we have the videotape from that 1998 panel that he appeared on he raises his hand it's very stark and plain it's him uh, and it's but but Brian, it's
0: it's 1998. the the whole point of the article that he writes for the Minnesota Law Review is that his views have
2: changed, and he no. he writes. No, that's not, yes, that's, he, I mean he, I think we're I think we're trying to overthink it here. The, 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 here's the cleanest here's the cleanest answer that he could give at a hearing. He could say, you know what? Uh, it's true that I have thought a lot about this and I have written a lot about it. And it's true that I am being nominated in a very unique circumstance where there's a president who is a subject of an ongoing criminal investigation doing the nominating. And because of the unique set of circumstances here where it's the president who have, may have a case that goes before the Supreme Court is nominating me and I have, you know, have deep thoughts on so many of the subjects that may come up that I'll recuse myself from hearing any constitutional question that comes before the Supreme Court. Think of all the different permutations of issues that the Supreme Court may have to resolve, depending on how this Mueller investigation proceeds, they could have to weigh in on things like, does the president have to be responsive to a Mueller subpoena? Does the president, can the sitting president be indicted? Does the president have the ability to self pardon? There's probably a half dozen different types of questions that could come before the Supreme Court. And I, Brett Kavanaugh, here's, the, here's the, another point that I think merits mentioning. Brett Kavanaugh is not at all a Trump style pick during the campaign, when Trump first issued his list of 11 names, these were people that were on state Supreme courts that did not have go to the usual Ivy League schools. They're people from across America, from the middle of America, not the, not the East Coast that went to the Ivy League schools. And, they, and, the, and the Trump campaign at that time lifted that point up, that he was reaching out and bringing some intellectual diversity to the court. But instead, Trump has reverted to getting a creature of the swamp in Brett Kavanaugh, who grew up in Washington, D.C., went to Yale Law School, is a Republican establishment figure. He's a loyal, a loyal uh, uh, staffer for the Bush administration. And How much does Donald Trump hate the Bushies? So really, in selecting Brett Kavanaugh, Trump has gone against type. So you have to sort of scratch your head and ask yourself, why would Trump sort of select a Bush guy that he didn't really ha- wasn't even on his original shortlist from 2016 as his pick for this all-important seat? And then all of a sudden it makes sense, a light bulb goes off. Leonard, Leo, and Don McGahn probably convinced him through all these writings that, that uh, Brett Kavanaugh has put forward over the years that this guy's going to be your ace in the hole, because when this Mueller thing, if it ever gets to the Supreme Court, he's already penned all his views, and they're all going to be supportive of you in this situation. So and then it all makes sense why so he's picking a, a creature of the swamp that is, a, that is a Bush guy.
1: So, Brian, if he could answer that question, if he could recuse himself, would you support him?
2: No, i got problems with his positions on the ACA and abortion and guns and everything else. But I, but I think that's a reasonable question for Democrats to ask him at a hearing. And um, based on, based on you know, all the unique circumstances at play here, I think he could take that issue go a long way towards taking the issue off the table if he would promise to recuse. But that's just one of many issues that Democrats, I think, are going to raise. He's, the other reason I'm surprised that Donald Trump picked him is because if you're, going, if you're looking at a confirmation hearing that's going to be a battle over the future of Roe, why would you want to have somebody who's, uh, you know, Trump's litmus test already makes that issue um, a prime one that Democrats are going to bring up, because as you guys both know, Trump sort of famously, repeatedly during the campaign said he'd only pick somebody that would overturn Roe. But there were other people on that shortlist that didn't have a record on Roe, and they could have pretended, oh, Donald Trump didn't ask them their position on Roe, and, and you can't judge from their record that they have any hostility to Roe. But Kavanaugh is a guy that has a record on Roe. Kavanaugh is a guy that has had cases come before him on the Affordable Care Act. So in the two issues that we intend to make this confirmation about, we don't have to just go by Donald Trump's promises about the type of judge he would name. We can actually look at Kavanaugh's record and say, in 2011 when the ACA case came before him, he refused to join the opinion upholding the law. And he publicly said that John Roberts was wrong in the rationale that he used for upholding it. So you have an ongoing litigation coming out of Texas where the Trump administration is saying that they think the ACA is unconstitutional and pre-existing condition protections should be overthrown, that case may end up in the Supreme Court's lap. And I think Democrats are going to say we can't trust Brett Kavanaugh to uphold the law if it gets to the Supreme Court. There's going to be other issues besides just the Mueller
1: investigation. So, Brian Fallon, you mentioned Democrats needing to raise these questions. There was a particular Senate Democrat, and I know you know what I'm referring to here, who asked some of these questions on Twitter just yesterday, including the question of whether, uh, whether uh, Kavanaugh would be independent of the president, whether he would respect ACA, whether he would safeguard civil rights, whether he would protect uh, women's reproductive rights. You retweeted that by saying, we already know the answers to these questions, Tim Kaine. Stop playing political games and help us stop kavanaugh what Wait, is? Fallon found was accusing tim kane of paying political games what what is hillary clinton's running mate doing wrong
2: here in in just asking well, questions i love tim kane i love tim kane and and i wish i think the country would be so much better service he was our vice president right now why but are you attacking honorable him? men i think he's one of the most honorable men in politics but i disagree with how he's approaching this nomination i think by as a point of comparison look at um bob casey who is also up re-election in a Trump-won state of Pennsylvania. And he came out in the hours before Trump even made the selection and said, you know what? This process is not on the level. Uh, We have a shortlist here from outside groups that have been hoisted upon this president. Um, There are litmus tests issued where he's insisting that certain people um, meet his conditions about how they would rule on certain cases. Uh, There's not going to be anybody that he could select out of this process from this shortlist that I could support. And, and he did that even though he's staring at a reelection contest this cycle in a Trump-won state, um, just as Tim Kaine is. And so I don't have any worry that Tim Kaine at the end of the day is probably going to be a no vote on Brett Kavanaugh. But my point is just like, hey, we have an important task ahead of us. We need to unite our Democratic caucus as quickly as possible so that we can put the maximum amount of pressure on trying to flip a Susan Collins or a Lisa Murkowski. And as long as we have Democrats that are in safe seats, even if they're in cycle, but are in safe seats, uh, that are out there sort of acting like the normal rules still apply, they don't. Donald Trump has changed the game here, and this, is not, this process is not playing out on the level. So the idea that we need to reserve judgment and hear Brett Kavanaugh refuse to answer questions at a hearing before we come out and oppose him, Brett Kavanaugh's name has been out on Donald Trump's shortlist for many months now. People have had ample opportunity to review his records. We know his positions on all these key issues. We know the litmus test that he would have had to meet for Donald Trump to pick him. So I just think that the normal kabuki of pretending like, oh, we're, we're not going to make up our minds until after the hearing is counterproductive. We need to unite quickly, put all the pressure on the Republican moderates.
1: Let us let me ask this question about the the, the emphasis that you're putting on Democrats at at, at at the go here, starting with Tim Kaine, but also in in advertisements that you're going to be running in several red states where there's senators who in the cast have already voted for a Supreme Court nominee uh, for, uh, in Gorsuch what what's the strategy there brian i mean isn't there an argument that look democrats you only got 49 senate seats you don't have the white house you've lost this one the president's going to get if not kavanaugh some conservative justice on the court fight another day wouldn't you be better off if joe manchin and joe donnelly and heidi heitkamp and claire mccaskill still had a job next year as democrats gives you a chance at the majority and Next time there's a, 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 an opening, whether it's under President Trump or a future president, you have more Democrats in the Senate because they're able to show that they exerted some independence from the National Party.
2: Yeah, fair question, and it's an argument we've encountered a lot in the last few days. I make two points. Um, number one, I, I don't agree with the notion that it's sort of one or the other, that you can either fight to contest this nomination or you can fight to win in the midterm. I don't believe that trying to organize and coalesce and unite our Democrats against the choice of Brett Kavanaugh, that that will somehow impair our ability to win reelection. I believe we have a path to articulating a rationale for opposing Brett Kavanaugh that can be a political winner, even in those red states, um, represented by people like Joe Manchin and Heidi Heitkamp. The Affordable Care Act, the number one issue in those campaigns, even if there wasn't a Supreme Court vacancy now, Joe Manchin, Heidi Heitkamp, Joe Donnelly would be doing their ads, going on the campaign, some talking about health care anyway. Pre existing conditions and keeping those protections on the book is the number one issue they want to talk about. Every poll shows it's the number one issue on voters' minds. And Brett Kavanaugh is a vote against pre existing conditions. So I think there's actually a lot of synergy here. So I don't I don't concede the point that it's somehow counterproductive to the goal of winning in the midterms to fight like hell to stop Brett Kavanaugh. But secondly, even if there was even if it was murkier territory, even if it was a closer call, if it was a gray area to try to figure out, you know, is there is it politically dicey to go all in on opposing brett kavanaugh you know what we can't just live from one election to the other some things are worth fighting for and what's at stake here is the future of the supreme court for the next 40 years and i would hate to have a decision come out in like two years where the supreme court overturns roe and suddenly you have 20 or 30 states across the country where abortion is illegal and have us look back and say well you know uh, uh the future of abortion in this country has been changed forever and women's rights have been shrunk forever um, but at least we gave it a go in terms of trying to win the 2018 midterm. Like, the, the, the effects of the Supreme Court are going to long outlast whatever happens in November. And even if we retake both the House and the Senate, which would be an uphill task to try to retake both chambers, even doing that will not undo the damage of of what will happen if Trump succeeds in putting his pick on the court. So I just think that things are worth fighting for. But per point number one, I don't actually think we're putting ourselves at a disadvantage by having this fight.
0: Okay, Brian. I know you have to go. One last question to those senators: to Joe Manchin, to Joe Donnelly, to Heidi Heitkamp, um, perhaps to to some of the, to perhaps even to Claire McCaskill, uh, uh, Doug Jones. Will there be a political price to pay if they vote in favor of this nomination? So now I'm talking. I'm talking straight politics here. We, we, we there's been a lot of discussion about the political price. People said that they will pay if they if they go against this nominee being from Trump states. But I'm asking you, will there be a political price to pay from the base of the Democratic Party against, you know, for these for these uh, these senators if they defy you on this and if they stick with Trump on his nominee?
2: I'm not going to go. And I think it would be counterproductive to our task of uniting our caucus to go out and try to issue threats or to try to sort of do some kind of rhetorical blackmail where I act like the Democratic base is going to stay home um, if these senators don't toe the line. I want these senators to look in the mirror and do the right thing. I think that all of them, if they were honest with themselves, realize the stakes here. All of them know that Roe is probably seriously at risk. All of them know that uh, the Affordable Care Act is probably on the line. Um, and so I want them to do the, with, with, with the, take the principled position that they know in their hearts they that that they would take if they didn't have to worry about electoral considerations but more than that i want to try to use these intervening weeks to convince them that it's not against their political interest to do the right thing and that's the reason we're going on the air in their states we're not running ads that are trying to pressure or bully joe manchin or or heidi heitkamp that would be actually counterproductive if some you know quote-unquote progressive group was coming in and trying to tell joe manchin how to vote That will give the right a talking point, and will probably make our task even harder of making Joe Joe Manchin feel comfortable in voting against Brett Kavanaugh. The point of our ads is so that the voters of West Virginia understand that this choice is a choice about health care, so that when Joe Manchin goes back to his constituents and says, I'm voting against him because I want to uphold pre-existing conditions, that that argument resonates with his constituents because they've seen ads for the last several weeks framing the choice in that way. So we're we're going on air to try to help them in framing this conversation, not to try to bully them.
0: All right. Brian Fallon, thank you for joining us in Powerhouse Politics. Thanks a lot, guys.
2: Take care. Thanks, Brian.
0: So I, I think that he wanted to issue a threat there, but, uh, <laughs> but, but what <laughs> he was but it, saying is it would be counterproductive not, to issue a threat. Not but, but, now. But, but, but there is a threat. There is a threat that's implied. And it may not be, maybe threat's the wrong word, but the message is that if you, you may think you are doing the smart thing politically... By supporting President Trump's nominee if you are from a state like West Virginia or Indiana or North Carolina. But what you will do is you will so enrage... Uh, your base that they will be less likely to come out uh, uh, to to and 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 turn out it's all about you know getting those getting sure. your core supporters to support you need more than just core supporters but you're not going to win without your core supporters
1: i think though that's that's going to be a tough argument for fallon and uh, a lot of kind of establishment liberals and uh, the, the groups that are aligned on this to make if you're joe donnelly in indiana you've obviously there's a big liberal base in indiana just like there is in just about any state are they going to stay home and and let a republican senator get elected because of the supreme court vote i have a hard time seeing that to my mind you know i saw the the uh, the Washington Post came out with a list of the the senators that are most likely to to flip here, and they had at the top of that list Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski. I don't think that's true. I, I don't either. I, that's not where I'd put the list. I think these red state Democrats are more likely to flip, and and I think it from Fallon's perspective, the perspective of 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 Democrats right now, that's why they're worried about their own. They can't they right now they can't begin to put pressure on the Republican side because they're worried about unity on their own.
0: Because if if if. Donnelly, Mansion, and Heidkamp all do what they did on Gorsuch. Then it doesn't matter. they could you, The Republicans
1: could lose That's right. Collins and Murkowski. And, and
0: by the way, they're—I mean—they're I, I mean, they're not going to lose Collins and Murkowski. Susan
1: Collins uh, never know, voted against a, a Supreme Court nominee. Do, do, in do, Party,
0: do, do you know? Nomination. Do you know that she never voted? I, I, check me on this, and I'll encourage our millions of listeners. But my understanding is she's never voted against a circuit court nominee mm, uh, wow. from a Republican president. Wow. So, and 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 she's, and, she's,
1: and she's voted for the she's confirmed Democratic president's yes, uh, yes. choices for the, the so, court as well. I don't, I don't buy that. And her
0: initial comments on on Kavanaugh are, are positive and and all of that. Can I just say it's a little sad? Let me let me just make a, an editorial comment. Where's your sadness? My sadness is that. The entire debate is already over before it has started. Hmm. And that, you know, there's not this sense of we're going to have a big hearing, we're going to learn, we're going to, we're going to, there are going to be interesting questions that are going to be asked. You know, minds might change. We're looking at like a universe of like at the absolute outside five or six senators who could potentially change their minds Mm -hmm. uh, or change their minds or, or, or vote against their, you know, vote against their party. And, you know, the battle lines are already completely drawn. It's, I mean, I'm old enough to remember. I know that you're a much younger uh, individual, but I'm old enough to remember some of those big, you know, Supreme Court hearings. I mean, there was the Bork hearing, Mm -hmm. which, you know, uh, obviously he went down. Um, There was the Clarence Thomas hearing, which was interesting for its own case, but I remember the I remember you know Kennedy getting nominated after Bork and um and you know bipartisan votes um on a you know it should not be an extension yeah. of it shouldn't be like a vote on a tax bill I mean this this, this should not be strictly a
1: partisan affair. So two points on this. First all, I think it's fair to say, and you're you're right in identifying this. We're not going to get another Supreme Court justice maybe in our lifetime with 90 votes plus confirmed. Just yeah, I mean
0: happen. so so 98 zero was Scalia, right? Ruth Bader Ginsburg was was 90-something to three. I think there were three no votes on her, right? I mean, so that's you're it's telling gonna, me that's never going to happen. Uh, can, can, can you get me like a sixty five uh, in Thirty five vote think, is that I possible? We're
1: gonna, I don't think we're going to hit sixty. Uh, you know, the, which used to be the threshold. Uh, that used to be the, 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 the breaking a filibuster minimum. Yeah. So I, 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 I think I've, that's sad. I'm, I, I'm like I'm, I'm actually
0: troubled for the republic because. And of I'll
1: that. say, and I'll say this, John. I mean, I I started covering uh, Washington in 2005, and President Bush had a couple of Supreme Court picks in in very short order and uh, since that alito and roberts alito and roberts uh and the democrats talked about filibusters and it all it all went down there was an an effort to to save the senate filibuster a gang formed in the senate uh and then we saw the, the the partisanship play out in the obama years and then finally culminating with mitch mcconnell's decision to not even hold a hearing on a vacancy after after the death of scalia so both, they both sides. You're not allowed to say both sides anymore in in Washington. I know it's a real sin. It. Killed it. but uh, it's this. terrible. Both sides have a lot of culpability in this because it has gotten progressively worse. You've seen it with Republican presidents, Democratic presidents, Republican control, Democratic control. It has swung wildly over the last decade that decade or so, and both sides have made it worse. In each successive administration, each successive uh, uh, leadership. You know,
0: Kavanaugh wrote about this in the Minnesota Law Review article, and which he, is a great he, read. On yeah. Yes, it is, and he has a couple of very interesting proposals. I would encourage everybody to actually read the entire article. But he directly addresses Supreme Court nominations and other federal court Article th- Article Three uh, uh, nominations, and his proposal because he was talking about the backlog mm-hmm. of, of you know people blocking votes and the Senate is, is that everybody. Every judicial nomination gets a vote by 180
1: days, and this was written because
0: that would have meant Merrick Garland would have gotten a vote.
1: But this was written in the Jurassic period of 2009, where the filibuster still existed. And yes. it, so things have changed even And he doesn't directly,
0: he, he raises that question, but he doesn't directly address it, right. whether or not it should be a 50 or 60 it's, vote it,
1: threshold. It, so I, I don't know how it gets better. It, you know, the, other, the other point I was going to make, John, is that these, the people that have been named to the court in recent decades are... Partisan animals, uh, and, and Kavanaugh is a is a classic example of this. Although I think you say Elena Kagan had similarities in her resume. This is someone who was steeped in Republican politics before he became a judge. Uh, he worked in insidery type jobs. He was a clerk on the clerk for supreme court justice uh He worked as a as a lawyer on almost every major conservative legal case that uh, uh, that arose during the Clinton years. The recount for the yesterday. recount elian gonzalez uh of course Ken Starr in his investigation so this was a man that that came up through the political trenches so no, what do you expect if these are the the kind of folks that are brought forward as justices? It will put people in their partisan corners. I, I mean, we we we
0: we've got to get back to see what else is going on in the world. But I, I would just point <laughs> out uh, what one: he 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 is somebody who uh, has hired. The, you have to look at the clerks because it's a very big measure of of you know who gets hired, and this has all become more and more partisan. But he has hired uh, clerks that have gone on. To become Supreme Court clerks for eight of the nine justices, uh, uh, which
1: means Democrat Democrat appointed. I think it's everyone justices. except
0: for Ginsburg. Yeah, that says and, something. Yeah. And, um, you know, I I, 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 you know, anyway, we can we can yep. we, we'll have another a couple of months to uh, to to discuss how this will play out. But uh, but it, it's just you could have an interesting discussion on all of this. And instead, everybody's already at the battle lines. Right. and There's already millions of dollars being spent either, you know, pro or con this nomination. And he hasn't answered a single question yet.
1: Yep. You're right. And and uh, there, lots of folks came out in opposition to the hypothetical even before we had a name.
0: Yep. Yep. All right. Listen, that is all the time we have. Uh, Rick Klein, uh, for our entire team here, Avery Miller, uh, Trevor Hastings, Angie Yak. Uh, Thank you for listening to Powerhouse Politics. We will be back. I'm going to make a prediction, Rick. I think we're going to be back before the week is up. Let's do it.